0: Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. For more than 2,000 years, he's been doing all that he promised. Today, his church remains an assembly of his saints, providing a place for worship, fellowship, and instruction. In a world that often feels isolated and alone, church remains a place to connect. It's a place to call home. We're so glad you've chosen to connect with the family of believers at Campus Church in the Crown Center at Pensacola Christian College, as together we rejoice in the Lord.
1: Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in Ephesians chapter number four, Ephesians chapter number four. While you're turning, um, let me tell you about a memory that I have way back in the day. This was when our son was about four years old. And my brother and his family were at our house. They were spending a few days with us, and and uh, they had also a son about four years old, and and so it was time for them to go to bed. And so I went into our son's room, and um, he had some bunk beds in there, so they're gonna both sleep in his room. And before we, you know, put them down for bed, we're gonna we're gonna say our prayers and have a little time and. And we thought we'd sing a song that night. And so I said to my nephew, what would you like to sing? And he said, I want to sing Only a Boy Named David. And I said, okay. And then my son said, I want to sing hallelujah, 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 praise you the Lord. And I said, well, we're going to sing Only a Boy Named David. So we started singing. Only a boy named David, only, and, and while we're singing, my nephew and I, only a boy named David, I hear this rather defiant, hallelujah, 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 only a little brook, praise ye, you know, that whole thing is going on. You, you know, you could tell that there are, are two very distinct paths that uh, two boys are, I would say, walking or singing that were not the same path. This is not our text today, but Amos chapter three, verse number three says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And I think we would do no disservice to this passage if we put it in this term, can two sing together except they be agreed? Well, the reality is not well. I mean, you can do it, but that's not the manner with which it's supposed to be expressed. There's something that concerns the apostle Paul. When we think about the uniqueness of the body assembled, this called out assembly, the church, and the Apostle Paul writing throughout his epistles to the churches, seems like every time he writes to the church, he's including something about the singular aspect of the body. He uses these Holy Spirit-directed illustrations that help us understand we might not all be the same member of the body, but we are all members of the body. And when you pause and think about the uniquenesses of any church assembly, campus church not excluded, you also start to think about the imperatives that there have to be for us to accomplish anything and that is a walk together. The title of our message today is simply let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. Now if two are going to go for a walk then then they have to be agreed. Let's walk this way. And so we would together agree, let's go this way. Now, if one decides, no, 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 I want to go for a walk, but I want to go this way. And the other says, no, 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 I want to walk with you, but I want to go this way. And they can't come to some understanding, then they will not walk together. And this seems to be the pressing matter that, that has captured the attention of the Apostle Paul. Your Bibles are open right now to Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me, if you will, at verse number 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love notice this endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit Even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, the Apostle Paul begins this fourth chapter in the book of Ephesians with a therefore, and we've often been taught, well, find out why is it there? And we understand that the Apostle Paul is making a transition. He has been covering primarily doctrinal truths in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. But the Apostle Paul is famous in his epistles for helping us understand not only our positional truths, the doctrinal truths, but also the practical truths. How does this teaching, how does this doctrine actually converge with my life? You know, whenever the Bible's teaching us something, it's not just so that we have some mental understanding of the principle. It's so that we can have some living action of those principles. What we believe, of course, is supposed to have direct impact in how we behave. One commentary said it this way. The better we understand Bible doctrine, the easier it is to obey Bible duties So Paul's already laid out the doctrine, and now he says, this is what it's going to look like with you, and specifically here, how you relate with the rest of the body, the church. In our passage today, the Apostle Paul is offering a plea for unity, and we must note he's not offering this peace at any price kind of message. In verse number three, you're going to notice that he uses the word endeavoring endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, endeavoring, that word means, okay, come on now, work at it. This is going to take some effort. This may not be easy. You may have to set aside some things that were preferential for you. You may have to set aside some things that, well, this is how I grew up doing this. He says, all right, endeavoring to. And then I think that also at least insinuates this may not always be possible. There may be some things that have so sharply divided a person, and specifically persons, that, okay, this is a matter over which we must separate. And I would submit to you, those should be primarily doctrinally driven, not not necessarily those preferential matters. If we fail to see how very important this unity of the Spirit is, we not only hurt the body of Christ, we are actually as members of that body doing harm to our own selves. It's almost as if this is some kind of self-inflicted wound when we begin to sow discord among the brethren. If we fail to see this again, this is a harm that actually rolls back on ourselves. He was 81 years old. His name's Luciano Maris. So Luciano Maris um, had a problem in his house and he found one of those little critters. He actually caught a mouse in his house and he's 81 years old. And he's bothered because he's been having a little issue. So he's been you know, strategically you know, capturing these mice and he found a little mouse in his house. And he happened to, at the same time, he happened to have a leaf fire burning outside. Picked up the mouse walked outside, I'm sorry for you mouse lovers, but he did, okay, he threw the mouse into the fire, the pile of burning leaves. Well, the mouse actually got its revenge. The mouse took off out of the fire, went back into the safety of the house, caught the house on fire, and the house literally burned down. Now Morris was okay. Uh, There are no news reports regarding the safety of the mouse, however. And uh, we don't know for you mouse lovers what happened, but we will say that what Luciano thought he was doing to protect himself actually came back to, to harm him. And with much more serious implications, we understand that oftentimes we think we're doing something to protect ourselves in the church. Sadly, sometimes those very things that we're doing that are so important to us, I'm going to be the one who will. Sometimes those are the very things that the apostle Paul says comes back upon you. The Bible says it in Proverbs 6, 14 and 15 this way. It says forwardness, that's crookedness, okay? A person who's not walking a straight path, forwardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore, shall his calamity come suddenly, suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. The person who is sowing discord is the person who actually has something roll back on him. So Paul's seen the impact that this division has caused in other churches. And he wants again to warn the church at Ephesus regarding this danger. Notice how he starts to break down this passage. The first thing we're going to notice here, again, beginning in verse number one, we see this earnest plea for unity. Paul makes this earnest appeal and he puts it out there, and you can tell this is not just some nicety or, you know, this would be so wonderful if it happened in the church. Paul's making an earnest appeal for unity within the body. Notice how he says it, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse number one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. That's not a word he uses lightly, but when he uses it, we take notice. I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation, that is the calling, wherewith ye are called. How should I walk? With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering? forbearing one another in love, endeavoring, there's our word again, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is exhorting, he's literally pleading with the Ephesians that they would walk in a manner that is worthy of their calling. They knew who they were in Christ. Now it was time for them to act like who they were. We use this far too often, but it resonates at least in my mind that when you are a kid and you're walking out of the house, sometimes your dad or your mom might say, hey, don't forget whose child you are. Okay, that's not because we're especially dense and we just like, I don't know. Okay, it's not because of that. It's because they're saying, they're reminding us in some, some understandable way, you belong to us. Remember that. Remember whose name you are carrying. Remember whose family you are a part of. Nehemiah, when you study his life, he becomes a really wonderful example of a person who knew who he was. And because he knew who he was, he said, I'm going to act in a manner consistent with who I am. Why would I act in a way that has nothing to do with my person and with my character? There were those who were wreaking some real havoc upon the, the people in, in Jerusalem when Nehemiah returns to rebuild the walls. They're trying to get him to do some things that, that simply were inconsistent with who he was. Eventually, they were trying to do him some harm and, and to, to get him to stop the work on the temple. They want him to go run for safety and hide himself in the temple. Now, again, you might even remember some Bible illustrations where kings actually fled to the temple and they would lay hold on the horns of the altar, this picture of pleading for safety, security, even some mercy. And they said, Nehemiah, come on, let's go hide in the temple. But Nehemiah knew what kind of a man he was. They're asking him to do something that is so radically different from who he is. And notice how he responds to this plea. In Nehemiah 6.11, he says, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, would anyone, if they understand who they are, would anyone do that? He said, certainly not someone like me. He's not trying to boast about his bravery. He's simply saying that's inconsistent with who I am. And you know, I think at least in part what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus is, do you know who you are? You know who you are, right? This is what he's saying Church, why would you act in a manner inconsistent with your calling? Why would you do something that has absolutely nothing to do with who you are in Christ Jesus? This is what the apostle Paul is saying when he says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. What does this plea to unity look like? I mean, this is a theme found all throughout scriptures. Just to note a few, Colossians 3, verse number 14. And above all these things, Above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, completeness. John 15, 17, these things I command you that ye love one another. These things I command you. That's a strong exhortation. He doesn't say this is a good idea. These things I command you. Romans twelve five. so we being many, Wow, how, how fitting that is for an assembly like this in such a wonderful auditorium. So we being many are what? One body in Christ and everyone members one of another. How disappointing when the family of God that are called brethren are not dwelling together in unity. When we begin to live contrary to this command, God instructs us to deal very directly with those who cause divisions. He, he doesn't mince words. In fact, he does things in ways that would make us today feel a little bit uncomfortable. We'd like, oh, that, I, don't feel, I don't feel really good about this. In Romans chapter 16, verse number 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Mark them. Do you know what that literally is saying? He's saying call them out by name. Call them out by name. Every church deals with this problem and the church at Ephesus wasn't alone regarding this this very corrosive sin. In fact, as we've mentioned nearly every one of the New Testament epistles have to deal with this matter of the oneness of the body. That's true in Philippians, this book of joy. Think about this passage of scripture, Philippians chapter four. Look at this with me. Philippians four, beginning in verse number one. Notice how flowery, beautiful the apostle Paul is when he begins this statement. He says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, longed for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech, wow, powerful word. I beseech Yodias, and beseech Syntiki that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, and Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul just called them out by name. I mean, can you imagine the church at Philippi has gathered together, this letter, the epistle from the apostle Paul is being read and everyone's so excited. And Yodius and is here, Syntyche's here. And uh, oh, they're just, and he starts to go, my dearly beloved, my long for, my joy, my crown. He says, there's a couple people that need your help. Yodius uh, and Syntyche, uh, help them get their issues resolved. Can you imagine, could you hear the audible oh, in that assembly? I mean, can you imagine, like, if today, like, um, uh, um hey, uh, uh, Dr. Amsbaugh, uh, you and Dr. Adkins need to get your stuff taken care of, okay? Uh, you guys got issues, and it's causing issues, and uh, listen, you guys need to get that resolved. Okay, now take your Bibles and turn to, I mean, we're, we're talking... This is an uncomfortable situation, but it was so necessary to see the joy in the church at Philippians restored. You know, as believers, we're supposed to be, he says, my yoke fellow. Do you know what that means? It means a double harness, a double harness, yoke fellow. Okay, this this is room for two oxen to pull together. This last summer, I was speaking at a camp up in Michigan, and I'm telling you, they had the best mud pit that I have ever seen at a camp. I mean, a great camp mud pit. And you know what they did? They, they've been doing this since, since tires were invented, okay? They blew up these, these inner tubes, and you put them in there. You have two different teams on opposite sides of this mud pit, and then you blow a whistle or do whatever, and, and these kids just come piling down into this mud pit, and they're grabbing hold of these inner tubes, and they're trying to pull them back to their side. I actually, while I was getting ready for this message, I pulled out some video. I'm not going to show it this morning, but I pulled out some video. And I'm looking at the, the incredible effort that these teenagers... I'm watching some guys. You know, it starts out as one guy pulling on and another guy pulling the opposite way. And I mean, every muscle, every fiber in their body is engaged in this war, you know. And of course, they're just getting... They're usually by now, they're out of the mud pit... And then they have these, you know, these hills that they're coming up out of the mud pit and it's just dirty, you know, and they're on the ground and they're pulling and they're dragging and and then other people come. Now they're enlisting the help of others. When you watch these videos, I'm like, those guys are, whoever gets involved in this is just getting more and more dirty and spent. And, And have you ever seen a friendly tug of war turn ugly, okay? Do you know, I was just reminded that's not a lot different from those who are, not, who are not, in a sense, pulling in the same direction. Think about how much you get accomplished when everybody's pulling the same way. There's no mud pit, so to speak. It's like, come on, let's, let's yeah, we're, we're pulling it this way. And then you can actually pull something of substance. Now you can plow some fields, man. You can do something that's worth, worth doing. You, uh, yeah, hook it up. We, we, I can't pull it by myself, but we can pull it together. Come on, pull this with me. And now we together get under the harness and we pull. There's something being accomplished. And that's what he's saying here. Help these two. They should be pulling in the same direction. One commentator said, the churches need more yoke fellows, Christians who pull well in a double harness. He just starts with this earnest plea for unity. But he goes a little bit further than that. And now he says, all right, here's an insightful plan for unity. He does have this earnest appeal. But now he says, okay, here, this is a simple plan. It's not complicated, but this is the plan for unity. And God's plan is that we recognize that you can't be something other than you are. And that is one body. That was, and it remains God's plan for the church. This is how we are to function. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said it this way to the church at Corinth. Now, here's our word again. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that y'all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How does this joining together happen? Well, we would go back to our text. He says again, verse number three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, the bond of peace. Okay, the word bond that's used there in in Greek, that would be used as the ligaments of peace. When you start to think about the body, now Paul takes that another step further and he says, okay, here is what's going to hold all of these many members together and that is through the bond of peace. Do you remember what Jesus Christ reminds his disciples when he's about to depart? He said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Jesus is saying, there is something that I am leaving with you provided by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what the Bible says the fruit, the evidence of the Spirit is? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there's no law... What he's saying is the thing that holds this all together is the evidence of God's Holy Spirit working within you and it is the ligament. It holds so many different parts together, the ligaments of the bond of peace. Division, of course, is dangerous in the church because it begins to to picture something that's inconsistent with who we are. It, It pictures then, or at least it's saying, is the body of Christ broken? Is the body of Christ fractured? We won't take time to to go all the way into this, but do you remember when Jesus Christ died on our behalf, there would be something quite typical of any person who was crucified. That is the executioner, the Romans would come and they would take some club and they would break the legs of the person who was being crucified hence speeding their death. They could no longer push themselves up upon the, the nail pierced feet to get another opportunity for air to be both brought into and exhaled from their lungs. They went to break, to fracture the body of Jesus and there's no need. He was already gone. They pierced then, uh, uh, they, put, they put a spear into his side and, and from his side came blood and water mixed, but no bone was broken. Why not? Because God was protecting again a vitally important picture that there is no fracture in the body of Jesus. And who are we today? We today remain the body of Christ. You know, most differences in the church, they begin as personality or preferential differences, not as doctrinal differences. So how does Paul deal with disunity? He deals with it, again, head on. He mentions groups of people in different epistles that have divided themselves into these little fragmented groups. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, think about how early he gets into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? You you think about the personalities that he mentions here. He mentions, first of all, okay, some of you say, I am a Paul. You have the Paul group. You know, this would have been made up of people who felt this loyalty to Paul. While he was their spiritual father, so to speak, by his own admission, he's not much to follow. The apostle Paul says himself, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Then he goes, he mentions the Apollos group. Okay, Paul spent a year and a half at Corinth. And then he moves on. But Apollos comes afterwards to build on the ministry of Paul. And he's an eloquent orator. In fact, the Bible says, Acts chapter 18, um, verse number 28, for he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Apollos was known as a guy who could speak and preach really well. In fact, in Corinth, there's a group called the Sophists. And um, they loved oratory. In fact, it, they, they weren't as concerned about what you said. They were a little bit more concerned with how you said it. So sometimes we can even ourselves, even in our churches, we can get a little drawn away with that. If you ever heard someone say, because of a person's style, we stand back and we say, now that's preaching. Okay. Maybe it was, but, but maybe it wasn't. It's not just the style of the preacher, it's the content of the speaker. Apollos had wonderful content, and he had wonderful style. But some people are like, "Hey, hey, I'm of Apollos." Well, maybe because he was such a stylish preacher. And then you have the Cephas group. Cephas, that's just the Aramaic translation of Peter. And, and Peter, we don't think, ever, ever actually physically went to Corinth, but certainly his name went there, and some of them are saying, "Hey, listen, we're of Cephas because he's one of the original apostles. And then some like, hey, we're just gonna, we're just going to, you know, this is over all of the names that you've mentioned. Well, we we are not of Paul, of Apollos, of Cephas. We are of Christ. What are you gonna say to that, huh? You know? Think about how fragmented this is. Think about how divisive this is. Today, we often have people break up into all kinds of groups. And the problem with all of this is it's trying to, and at least in in presentation to the world, divide the body of Christ. There are certainly many outside the church that would seek to divide and conquer. But we're not talking here about those outside the church. We're talking about the church, the body of believers. Christ's body is not fractured. Even in his bodily death, none of his bones are broken. Division is dangerous in the church because it fractures, at least in picture, the unbroken body of Jesus. So the earnest plea for unity, yeah, he makes an earnest plea. I beseech you. And then he has this insightful plan for unity. That is, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And then he says, all right, now I know you're going to have to endeavor to do this, but there's also this last thing that we'll see in this passage, an undiminished power for unity. He gives us all that we need to accomplish what he's commanded us to do. Notice again, Ephesians chapter 4, look down at verse number 4. If you circle things in your Bible, notice what is circled here or highlighted here. They may be things that you'd wish to highlight yourself. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. The unhindered, undiminished, unbroken power of God is in you all. That is the church. Did you notice how many times repeatedly Paul seems to accentuate the word one body, spirit, Hope, Lord, faith, baptism, one God. Seven times he hits this theme over and over and over again. Paul concludes by saying, this God who is one is above all. And by the way, that's where we should be looking. Have you ever seen someone looking up at whatever and and you pause and even as you see them looking up, you pause and you stop and you start to look up. He says, God is the one who is above all. Yeah, that's where all of our eyes are supposed to be fixed. And then he goes on. He says, he's above all. He is through all. That's the power that accomplishes his will. God has this masterful plan. He continues to work in and through all. And then he concludes by saying, and in us all. This is the unity of the spirit of God within us. His power is able to keep us as one. In Romans chapter 12, verse number five, again, he uses this illustration of the body. He says, so we being many are one body in Christ. And everyone members one of another. Here at Campus Church, we have such wonderful diversity within the body of Christ. It's revealed in diverse ages, various cultures, backgrounds, people born in different centuries, coming from a wide variety of educational backgrounds, not to mention the multiple representations of church histories, nationalities, economic backgrounds, just to name a few. And here we are, we're all under one roof, under one name, the name of Jesus Christ in a place that we call Campus Church. One of the very brief psalms attributed to David, one of many, Psalm 133. It's three verses. Notice the first two of this brief psalm. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. There was no rationing of the oil. It was poured with liberality. As it's poured upon Aaron's head, it flows down to his beard, and then it falls down upon his garments, to the skirt, to the very edge, the bottom of his garment. And there's nothing foul about this. There's nothing unpleasant. In fact, the, the recipe, the, the, the means by which this was assembled, it was unique. It was to only be used for this. This wasn't something that you would whip up at home. Oh, I, I enjoyed that so much. Can I have the recipe? No, 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 this is special, and, and it's beautifully fragrant. Now, wherever Aaron goes, there's just something beautiful about it. I was talking to my mom on the phone this week, and mom stopped by at a department store, and she noticed that the store was doing something that she hadn't noticed before. She pauses and she listens. At first, she thought there was a bird that was loose in the department store because she hears this little faint bird sound. So she pauses and she listens. She listens. And then she heard this beautiful, like a flowing stream. It was very peaceful, very relaxing. And, and she's straining to listen. And she thought at first, you know, that she'd heard a bird. But she realizes, no, that's not it. They're just playing this through the store. And so she just enjoyed it through the course of her shopping. It was very peaceful, very relaxing. And she finishes her shopping. She goes to the checkout stand and, and she goes to checkout. And the lady standing there pauses and she says, huh. Oh, she said to my mom, do you hear that? And my mom said, yes, I've enjoyed it all throughout the store. And then she looks down at my mom's purse. And my mom looks at her purse. And she pulls out her phone. And it's a bird chirping, okay? <laughs> her, her phone started to play these beautiful nature sounds. And, and my mom thought, oh, the store is doing this wonderful thing. with." <laughs> so everywhere she goes, it's like, this is so nice that they have this The lady at the checkout, she says, I'm going to enjoy this all day long, she said. And the lady standing behind her, my mom said, well, I'm so thankful that I could bring such levity to both of you today. (laughs) But you know, there really is something beautiful about what happened. That wherever she went, she had these peaceful sounds. Now, she thought it was the store, but really it was her. I find this interesting. There are some people that no matter where they go, it's just like, what a wonderful place. Just, I just love, you know, what the Lord's doing. What a wonderful place. Wherever they go. And there are some people that wherever they go, it's a problem. And I'm not so convinced that the problem is the place. Maybe the problem is connected To the person. Behold how good, how pleasant it is when brethren, they dwell together in unity. It's like the the beautiful ointment that's poured upon the head of Aaron, the high priest, and it flows on his beard and then it falls upon his garments and and it goes all the way to the skirt of the garment. It, it, It covers the body. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, our head, becomes both the anointed and the anointer The one that our beautiful fragrance comes from. The one that when I am rightly connected to him, wherever he goes, there's something beautifully fragrant about it. And then wherever I go attached to him, there also is something beautifully fragrant about it. Behold, how good and how pleasant. Do you know the word pleasant, the Hebrew word that's used there in our our passage? Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The word pleasant would be used in Hebrew language as something connected to a musical expression. How melodic it is. What a beautiful song it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Who knows all the Lord has in store for a place called Campus Church this year. But I do know that if we are ready to be, in a sense, double yoked, pulling in the same direction, walking together, dwelling together in unity, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that things can be accomplished this year that apart from the bond of that one body could never be accomplished. May God reveal to each of us individually if we become those that do anything but dwell together in unity.
0: We're glad you joined us for Rejoice in the Lord as we've discovered answers to life's questions from God's Word. For a recording of today's message, let's go for a walk. Call, write, or go online. Include a gift of $7.50 for a CD or $15 for a DVD. Write us at Rejoice in the Lord, Pensacola, Florida, 32523. Or call one 800 223 9727. Messages are also available on iTunes when you search Rejoice TV or find us on YouTube by searching Rejoice in the Lord. Your financial support is vital to keep Rejoice on the air. Your tax-deductible gift enables this viewer-supported ministry to spread the gospel around the world, encouraging Christians and reaching people for Jesus. This is Rejoice in the Lord. I'm so thankful for many faithful viewers like you who watch Rejoice in the Lord each week as
1: we study the Word of God and sing His praises. You know, often we hear that the music on Rejoice encourages and inspires. And I'm happy to tell you that we've selected several songs featured over the past 12 months to produce 2023's best musical moments. For your gift of $70 or more to rejoice, we'll send you the DVD and companion CD of 2023's Best Musical Moments, and your gift will help keep Rejoicing the Lord on the air. Call, write, or go online today and request 2023's Best Musical Moments.